from above the terrain and lakes of New England, propelling the Gospel Mission Aviation Ministries, presents to you the Mission Briefer podcast, where we will give testimonials from mission outreach flights, interviews of missionary aviators from around the world, on-site experiences and sounds of our Mission Aviation fly-out camps, teachings from the Bible, and updates of church planning and outreach events. So buckle up and prepare for takeoff as we seek to propel the gospel forward here, in the New England region. In a lot of ways, I've been kind of bottled up. (laughs) And I'm going to be careful not to uh, lose my cannon. Um, But Luke 22 is Luke's account, or or Luke's writings, I should say, um, about the Lord's Supper. And I feel like we need to really start there before we go through the rest of the story. So as we look in, I'll start, I'll read the first couple verses here. Um, Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them with fervent desire, I desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. As the men, if they want to come forward. Again, this is, this is from Luke's writing, is the Lord's Supper. Of course, we can all turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to get uh, the full context of what's going on here. But it's important to start here. It's not only a church, as believers, to start here and realize that before he suffered, Christ desired fellowship with his 12th. And so on that night, they all came together and he presented to them what we know as communion or the Lord's table. And sometimes I think that churches, they get into this idea that communion is just so systematic. And there's an element that there is. But as we've seen in the book of 1 John, that the God we serve is a very real God. The relationship that God wants us to have with him is extremely real, authentic. And so this morning, when looking at this, the first, the first point we can, we can focus on is the fellowship that God invites us into. The, God, uh, the Bible does warn us, great heathens, to examine yourself before taking the Lord's Supper. So as a believer, really, is, is what this is for, is as a believer, we need to, we need to take time and, and examine ourselves before God and say, is there anything between us and God that is unclean? Because the Bible does warn us that if we take this in an unworthy manner, that there are great consequences. The Bible actually even describes at the end of chapter 11 that this is part of the reason why there's a lot of sickness and illness and people who are asleep, dead to the gospel, dead to things of Christ, opposing antichrist world, which we've been looking at, of course. But boy, let's think about it. That night, that which he was betrayed. He sat with his 12 and he said, basically, we're going to do, we're going to have this supper. And it's much more than just a meal. There are many applications, really, when you think about it. But he, 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 we come to the Lord's table, and he talks about two things, the bread and the cup. And sometimes in our churches, my fear is that we just focus on the bread and the cup. And it's just something we do. But it's a great remembrance. It's, a, it's an extremely symbolic thing to do to remember and recount what happened. And so for just a few moments... Let's take a little time and prayer with the Lord individually, quietly, us, because it's really the sinfulness that we all carry is between us and God. There's nobody else here that needs to judge that for us. We're all sinful nature. And so for us, Lord, believers, examine before your God now if there's anything that stands between you and him before we go to communion. Lord, without a doubt, without a doubt, we are sinful by nature. 
all the way back till since time began in the fall in the garden, Lord, we fail. We do not meet the mark. Lord, but as we prepare for this communion supper, Lord, just as your 12 did a couple thousand years ago, Lord, we pray that if there's anything between us and you, any sin, Lord, we know that you sent your son to die on the cross to wipe all that away, Lord, and we want to confess those things to you, Lord, so that we can approach your throne clean. Lord, as we go through this message today, we pray that if there's somebody that is here that does not know you in a very real and personal way, and does not desire, that does not have that, Lord, that, that you, you spark that desire in their heart, Lord, and that today they get right with you, Lord, and that they install you as their king over their life and their director. And Lord, we just pray that, that it is evident to those that may be visiting the power of you and, and Christ and what he did on the cross for us, Lord. We pray over the bread, Lord, this body that was broken for all of us, Lord. We pray that this is not merely just a ritual. Lord, we pray that this helps us remember and recount what you did for us. We thank you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys want to disperse the, the package, I guess we say now. <laughs> And so as we already mentioned, that same night that they betrayed him, Christ stands among his 12, the people that eventually will be commissioned out to share the great message of, of who he is. He looks at his 12 and he says, this bread, <laughs> the bread of life, this bread is broken resembles his body that was broken on that cross for all of us, all of humankind. It's broken for you and I. And he says, eat this bread in remembrance of me. And on that same night, in the same manner, he took the cup. Really, Christ was not talking about a cup of juice. A cup full that resembles a cup full of his blood. Because by his stripes, we are healed. And so he said, unless that same night, take this cup. For it's the new, my blood is the new covenant. It's the new means of which there's all hope for humanity. Is that blood. Mike, if you would pray over the blood. Dear Heavenly Father, as we partake of this cup this morning, Lord, we just pause to remember that it is your shed blood, Lord, that washed away the sins of the world. Lord, we do thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So on that same night, he took the cup, sorry. <laughs> and he said, this is my new covenant. And he said, drink in remembrance of me. And after that, he commissions the 12. He's about to go get beaten, 
suffer, torment. And the twelve go out, I think it was to Mount Moriah, they sing a hymn, and they go out. And that's part of the commandment to the rest of the church. Thank you guys, you guys can take a seat. And so they go out. They go out to Mount Moriah. That's not where the story ends. The story also doesn't end on either Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday. Brian and I made a video last night discussing that, you know, discussing the, the fact that we hear a whole lot about those, or either one of them, Thursday or Friday, the, the time that Christ suffered on the cross, and that you typically don't hear much about Saturday night, where it was quiet. I got to tell you, last night in my backyard, it was quiet. We actually had an owl fly straight over, and I don't know what they were doing. I don't know if they were fighting or mating. Something was going on, but it was, it was quite a noise. And, but you don't hear much about that Saturday night. But the suffering we see actually in Luke 23. And, and this morning's message is going to be more of a survey. We're not going to dissect much. We're going to tell the story. And then we're going to end up back in 1 John. But the suffering in Luke 23. I want to point out a couple things that, are, that sometimes I think we don't really, we don't really, really grasp onto as believers. And as unbelievers, um, maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe it's been a long time since you've heard this. Maybe it's been years. But Christ did suffer for us on that cross. Because Romans tells us we, are, we do fall short of the glory of God. There's nothing we will ever do to achieve that. The world can try to promote that. Uh, but there's nothing that will ever get us there. Except for Christ. Christ is that bridge. I heard a great uh, explanation the other day that... God created us, we messed it up with sin, but Christ is here to fix it. There's a solution. Everybody in the world, it seems like, is looking for a solution right now, some sort of solution. Whether that solution that they get is right or wrong, most of them probably wrong, they're looking for hope. They're looking for hope. But the suffering, without the suffering, without the cross... There'd be no point to be here. There really wouldn't. But you know what's exciting to also state is without resurrection, this would be pointless also. The only religion, not my favorite word, but the only religion that actually says that, that their leader or their, their God and, you know, overall, Christianity, Bible preaching Christianity, is the only one that talks about a Savior who is risen. But the suffering had to happen. Christ said seven things on the cross. Seven very important statements. He was nailed to the cross. There's a sign that said the king of the Jews. He was dragged across the, the land, beaten, spit at. I showed my kids a video the other day. It was an animated video, or a church put it on, I should say. And, and I wanted them to see it. I wanted them... To, to encounter really what Christ went through went through for them. I don't, want, I don't want my kids or my family members or my neighbors to think this is just some genie in the bottle stuck in the back corner. It's important to me that people encounter Christ the way that it happened. Really important to me, as it has been for so many people through our lifetime. But he says seven things. Seven things. He's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they do. These seven sayings actually apply great today. Ironic, right? Father, <laughs> this world does not know what it does. Really. We've seen that in 1 John. We have seen that. It's important to realize that forgiveness already existed before you or I even thought about Christ. Forgiveness. Father, right on the cross, forgive them. Forgiveness was, was part of the picture, part of the plan before you and I ever even approached the cross. And then the second saying to one guy next to him on another cross, he says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Like, hey, see you in a little bit. We're going to be in paradise together. 
Third one, he says, he looks down at Mary, his mom, and says, Behold, woman, your son. Here I am. I'm your son. And he looks at John and he says, Behold, son, your mother. A great signal, or, or symbol, I should say, that Christ recognizes the sufferings, the trials that his mom was going through. Same with us believers. He realizes that maybe we don't get the full picture. Maybe we don't understand why we're going through certain things right now. Maybe we don't know what six months looks from now. But Christ can understand where we're at. Just like his mom was standing there going, I mean, you, you, you just, just think about what these people had to have been thinking. The disciples, after following him, they're, they're looking at the cross and, behold, this, this is your son. Behold, this is your mother. Take care of her. Comfort her. He is the great comforter. Then as things progress on the cross, he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A point when God looks away from the Son. Because he took on the whole package of sin. Here's the problem with sin. It separates that which sinned from God. There's a barrier. There is a barrier. That's what sin does. Sin separates. But let's recount when Jesus' ministry was going on on the earth here. Jesus meets with the woman at the well. And what's he, what's he say to that woman on the well? He says, you know, basically, you're getting all this water, but the reality is, is I'm... I'm the water of li- I'm the life of water, water of life, however you want to say it. You know, take what I have and you'll never thirst again. Never thirst again. Talking about spiritually the emptiness and, and never constantly looking to fill that with something that's just earthly, but filling it with Christ. His next saying is, I thirst. He thirsts. Christ is referred to as the water of of life. And here's where it gets exciting. His last two statements. It is finished. I don't know about you, but I like it when things actually get complete. <laughs> There's a whole lot of things, a whole lot of agendas, a whole lot of meetings, and nothing really seems to always get finished. It just rolls into the next thing and the next thing. But here Christ says, <clears throat> it is finished. The plan that had to happen, the the ultimate lamb that had to be given, it is finished for you and I. And then his last statement, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The great desire of the Son being with the Father. The seven sayings through the suffering. So Christ dies really dies on the cross. As we progress to the, the third point, so we've looked at, at the invitation to fellowship, right? We've looked at the suffering, and now we're going to look at the resurrection. The resurrection. Luke 24 says this, Now on the first day of the week, <laughs> next two words, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with, women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, an anointment. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining Garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. They were, great. They were perplexed. The men that were there, they were 
shining. Let's go back, just rewind a little bit. We were talking about that light, light and darkness. There was no question, folks. <laughs> there was great light that day. And I have a little bit of a hard time thinking it was just the sun. There was great light manifested. We looked at that in 1 John chapter 1. But as we, as we continue, it, it says that he was given to the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Us believers, I think sometimes we fail at this. I think sometimes we, f- we forget to remember his words in his, in his, in his word. Then they returned from the, wo- the tomb, not the womb, but the tomb, and told all these things to the eleven and, t- and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed like idle tales, and they did not believe them. <laughs> Sometimes I think we can do that too. Yep, he arose. <laughs> no, 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 he arose. He is alive. He is alive. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Another thing that I think sometimes as believers, we don't get really excited. You know, I've, I had a really hard time this morning. Granted, I've been a little cooped up. But driving on the way up here this morning, that in my about hour drive, that every time I passed a fellow believer's house, I had a really hard time not beeping the horn. Okay? We need to be excited about what's going on. Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling. That's the next word. Marveling to himself at what had happened. Are we marveling as believers? This is exciting stuff. Well, I know we get pretty excited when the Super Bowl comes around. But boy, this is, this is exciting. This is why we are here on this earth. This is why we're here to live. Eternal life is around the corner. I like how John puts it in John, John chapter 20. Of course, John's a little biased because he's actually writing the book. But he makes note that they ran to the tomb and that John beat Peter. He himself beat Peter. This should be a race for an excitement about our king who is risen. That's the way we need to approach it as a church. Who are we going to tell today? What about tomorrow? Yeah, Easter's over tomorrow. Who are we going to tell that Christ is alive? It's an exciting, super exciting message. He is alive. And then the next thing we look at is the invitation, John 20, verse 15 He asks, Jesus asks a question to the woman. He says, why are you weeping? When he approaches her, why, why are you weeping? And here's the next question. Whom are you seeking? Now, there might be someone here today that, that does not know Christ as their Savior. Okay? And that's not a big elephant in the room, that's something that needs to be addressed. Whom are you seeking? The whole first part of Jesus' ministry, he was asking a question, who do you say that I am? We, we must all realize, especially if we're an unbeliever here today, that no matter wh- whether you like it or not, you're going to give a response. Through your actions, verbally, whatever the case is, you're going to give a response. Maybe you have been giving a response. Maybe it's a cold, stiff arm. Maybe it's just a pushback. I don't, I don't even want to think about it. Here's the problem. The death rate from Americans, or not just Americans, all men, is 100%. We're going to die. Okay? I mean, let, let's be real here. Death will come. No question about it. But whom are you seeking? Some of us that have been believers for a while... Probably looking back, the best question you ever got to answer. Whom are you seeking? Who do you say that he is? So he invites us into that. 
And then the next thing we see is, is the invitation to experience him. I don't know about you, but I love to experience new things, especially when they're truth, truthful. But the experience, if you flip down to verse 24 of, of John 20, Jesus goes and sees the 12 again. And some movies will make it like just this really dramatic entrance by Christ. Who really knows? That detail really doesn't, isn't going to affect eternity. But he, he enters wherever they were, right? And we have this one individual that we've thrown an adverb in front of his name. Doubting Thomas. I, I hate to burst everybody's bubble. Wow. Hate to burst everyone's bubble, but they all doubted. And haven't we all? Doubting Alec. We've all doubted. And Christ has this interesting interaction with Thomas where he shows him, look. And the Bible tells us that Thomas believes. But here's the catch to a relationship with Christ. Not that there's a catch, but here's, here's some information that really makes it sweet. He says, basically, in essence, Thomas says, it's great you believe because you've seen but blessed are those who have not seen and believe. Hmm. Yeah. There's no physical body here this morning, but I can tell you that the Spirit of God is here. I can tell you that when Christ transcended to be with the Father, that he sent us his helper to dwell within us, the Holy Spirit. I can tell you that I've seen instances in my own life where God has shown up and it's been a real encounter. You know, we all spend money to go to aquariums or whatever to see the shark encounter. Has it ever crossed our mind to go check out the Christ encounter? That was our challenge last night from Bri and I to some friends we have, whether we work with. I mean, who knows where that video went? Praying that somebody just gives the opportunity to encounter Christ today. And Sunday's moving forward, not just Sunday either, but... The experience, the experience that Thomas had was real. John 20, verse 1, flipping back just a little bit. We kind of already hit on it, but now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. This is what I was talking about. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. But I circled that word that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb while it was still dark. And in Luke uh, 24, we saw where there was great light. So we've seen the resurrection, the invitation to answer who is Christ, the experience, a very real experience of Christ, and the light. A lot of things in the world right now are dark. We don't need to hash that out. We've been doing that for a couple months. But the light, he is the light of the world. And that brings us to 1 John chapter 3. One verse. Very simple thought. As we've walked through this as a church, we've seen that Christ is real. He was manifested. He's invited us into fellowship as a believer. He wants not just a relationship, but a real close-knit woven heart bent to him moving forward and we we fail at that time at times and we will but he calls us to be more sinless than sinful and that he wants us to practice in that truth and then we, we broke broke down the idea of what it means to be a child of god and the different stages of that we talked about a world that is anti-christ a world that is against christ 
Can I tell you, we, we put out that video last night. We have some friends on Facebook that are anti, not, they're not the Antichrist, but they're anti-Christ. And you know, as of 10 o'clock last night when I went to bed, there were a little bit over 100 views. You know how many people responded to that message or hit the little thumbs up? 12? At that time. At that time. There are people who are pushing back the gospel. Now, we could have put a post out there about, hey, you know, our kids are having an Easter egg hunt today, and who knows, the thing probably would have blown up. But I tell you, if there's disaster down the road, I want to make it my mission in line with God's mission to tell people that disaster's coming. God is right and just by judging the world. I hope we know that. I know in Sunday school here, we've looked at the wrath of God and that God is right and just in all of that. There will be a day where we all have to give an account of how we've lived on this earth. And in the, as a believer, as we looked at, have gone through the book of First John for a couple chapters, the importance of, of living like it. And for the unbeliever, realizing that you will stand before God on the throne and you will have to say, you know, either he's going to say, I know you or I don't. And there's no, no big, you know, sign on our chest saying, you know, we've got to live a certain way. We've got to have our shirts tucked in a certain way. No, that, that's what this whole book has been about is to be real in 1 John. And so we come to chapter 3. I've got to tell you, I've been excited to get to this verse. <laughs> chapter 1 of... Uh, Sorry, verse 1 of chapter 3. First word, behold. Take great reverence. Here's a warning. Listen up is what this is saying. Behold. Behold what manner. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, this world, that we should be called the children of God. If you are standing here or sitting here today and you, you have not received Christ and said, okay, God, I, I realize my failures, my sin in my life. I realize I'll never get there without you. If you've never done that, realizing that God wants you over here, not here. And as a believer this morning, we've already looked at that when you do come to be with the Lord, that, that he doesn't want you just to be idle. He wants to keep you excited and marveled and growing into fellowship with him. So that when we come to the communion table, we realize, wow, he broke his body for me. He shed his blood for me so that by his stripes, I am healed. I am healed because we will face death. We will face death. <laughs> but what manner of love? The light and the love. John talks a lot about love throughout his writings. And I have to think of the many times that I've seen in my own life where God has just bestowed his love in many different ways, but nothing ever like what he did on the cross with his son. Think about, think about the story of Abraham and Isaac. What seemed like, oh, oh are we headed in this very similar Similar path of what happened on the cross? No. Because God provides a lamb. And God provided a lamb on that day on that cross. So that we can be with him in a very real way eternally. And the reality is that there is an eternal hell. There is. And that if we are not in communion and we're not connected to the Lord through relationship... That we will end up there. And we will pay the debt that we owed. Because God stood in our, or God sent his son to stand in our place saying, yeah, Alec, you're guilty. Yeah, you're guilty. But because I love you and because I want to be with you, I'm going to give you my son as a substitute. Could have been us. Should have been us. Ephesians 2 says, but God who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love 
with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, even when we had nothing to give back, not that we do now, but even when we were still sinners, enemies with God, the Bible says, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. Grace you have been saved. That's why we can never work for it, because it's been granted to us. Verse 6 in Ephesians 2 says, And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That great love. 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So that salvation message. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Every man has asked this question. Every human being on this planet to ever walk on this planet has to answer that question. Whether they verbally say it or not, they do have to answer that question. So my question and challenge to you today is, have you answered that question? If you are an unbeliever at this point, you've been pushing back, and that's our nature. Nobody's going to sit here and condemn you from being there because we've all been there. That's the nature of man. It's the nature of sin. Look at David. David uh, was a man after God's own heart. Got in a little bit of trouble with Bathsheba. God still used him. God still used him. What this verse is really saying in 1 John 3 is God's love for us is so unique. It can be translated as, Behold what peculiar, out of this world, nothing to do with this world, kind of love the Father bestows on us. While we were his enemies, he loved us and sent his Son to die for us. 1 John, the whole book of 1 John is really talking about in view of the return of Jesus Christ, we should keep our lives clean. So it reflects that, that relationship and that love. All this reminds us of the Father's love. He invites us to dwell with him. And this is his desire. Don't forget the Lord's Supper. He desired to be with them. Not a lot of that going on. Now, I mean, we've seen in the last 10 years with technology, you know, you get together together with somebody and they're not there. You know, they're on their phone or they're thinking of other things. He wants to be there. Wouldn't it be great to have a relationship with somebody that wants to just genuinely be there? I know I fail at that. Probably failed at it this morning, last night. There's a group of teenagers one point. Uh, Wearsby gives this great illustration. A group of teenagers were out partying, and they had plans to go to a certain location uh, for, for a further good time. This one girl explained she would rather the group just take her home. Just take me home. And she explained that her parents do not approve of the desired uh, destination they were planning on going to. Well, the group began to make fun of her and asked if her father would, would hurt her or punish her um, for going to such a place. Her response was no. I'm not afraid that my father would hurt me. I'm afraid that it hurt my father. She understood the principle that a true child of God who has experienced the love of God has no desire to sin against the love of God. That's what 1 John's talking about. Reflection. A life that reflects. And what's so great about that is it's such a real encounter really is i'll go home today i'll be fail something we all will we'll all sin because we're short of the glory of god but because of the cross we can ask for forgiveness confess our sins and move forward because without forgiveness nothing moves forward think about the relationships in your own life people to people even without forgiveness there's no moving forward either that relation's excommunicated or it's rocky There's no moving forward. But in John chapter 20, verse 31, I'll just read it to you. John wrote a lot. 
love, light, neighbors, love them, all this good stuff. But he says, and he closes up the chapter, verse 20, uh, chapter 20, with the fact that he wrote all these things. But the reality was he could have written and said a whole lot more that really went on, the miracles and the wonders and all that. But he said, that which has been written, it's been written so that you may believe. There's no greater claim than this book than that any, any individual ever on this earth be able to explain the fact that this book is trying to get you to believe. You give me another book in any other religion, any other, any other fad or whatever that the world's trying to promote, and you give me 66 books. Give me 66 books, thousands of verses. Nothing will compare to what John is trying to get across here, that you may believe. We see something on Facebook and we go, well, that must be true. Yeah, get rid of them. Put them out of the White House. We all know that's true. But then we have a hard, such a hard time taking this, I mean, look at the size of this thing. And we have a hard time believing, believing in God. Sounds silly for us that have been believers for a while, but it's the reality. Because it's not, our, it's not our natural habitat to believe beyond the earth. Oh, but our soul is. Our soul is meant to be with the Father. Every once in a while, I get a little irritated with some of the sayings that the world has come up with over the years. <laughs> Apple a day keeps the doctor away. Really? Didn't work with Eve. Because if anything, if anything, it just shows you more of a need for a great physician. <laughs> we need the doctor. So don't tell me. I get it. You know, it's good to have fruit. Watching out for the sinfulness in this world. And in closing, most popular verse in the Bible. Again, written by John. Talking with actually a Pharisee, Nicodemus, who knew his scripture, knew it inside and out like most of them. He says, you know, how do you, how do you inherit the kingdom of God? How do, you, how do you end up in heaven eternally? And kind of a funny interaction, actually. And if anybody is here that, that wants to read that and has never read John 3, I have a couple of Gospel of Johns with me to give you. And it's a fun encounter. I, I, I hope that we all approach God's word with excitement and and with that manner of, you know, what happens next? I mean, look at the, what the world's putting out. I mean, just this week, just chaos and gruesome stuff. Boy, you want anything like that? Um, I think there's, you know, quite a few books in the beginning of this book that is pretty gruesome. There's love. John 3.16 for God so loved the world. He loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his son on that cross. And whoever, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He gives life. He is the bread of life. The life. So he's the light. He's the love. He is the answer to eternal life life. Romans 5.8. These are all great Awana verses. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Got to tell you, two two years ago, around this time, I was really wondering if if people in my family were going to come to know the Lord, and that's obviously been a prayer of mine. Not only as a dad, but you know, a family member. And two years ago, I we were at a uh, like a Good Friday service and communion, and my oldest Bennett. Uh, that night, as we pulled into the church parking lot, 
he explained that he felt like he really wasn't in connection with God. Of course, at four, you know, he didn't say the word connection, but he knew. It's important that as believers, we give the unbelievers time to experience an encounter. I'm not really big on ABC's driving to their knees approach. They need to experience it. Give them the knowledge, let them experience it. And so two years ago, I was able to witness my son in our car, almost in tears, realizing the need for a Savior. Now, he may not know the the full-blown deal, but he knows the need for a Savior. And he knows that he has to answer that question, even at five and six. He knows he has to answer that question, "Who, who do you say that I am? And so in closing, my challenge to the unbeliever is, don't let much more time go. It's evident where this world's headed. It's evident that it's antichrist that's only going to get worse. So don't let that go on for much longer because God, behold, what manner of love God bestowed on us all. And for the unbeliever, I mean the believer, sorry, those of us that are in church, Sunday to Sunday, grinding it out, remain faithful, be excited, share it, find somebody, there are connections that you have that other people don't. Maybe you're a friend with a, a shut-in or whatever the case is. Encourage them. Show God's love. Bestow that love that was granted to you and share it. There's examples of that throughout Scripture. Something that's been granted to you, but we don't grant it to others. He gives us a great example of that. So on this Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, what a great story. It's real. Always love the movies at the end that say this was a true story and you had no idea. It's a true story. And for the believers, at the end of the Lord's Supper, they went out and Christ told them, proclaim my name until I return. This world needs Christ. This world needs Christ. We're going to sing our last hymn, 368. We serve a risen Savior. Eternal hallelujahs 
Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek Him, and help of all who find. No other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives, He lives within my heart. Great singing, and uh, if anybody here that does not know Christ and just wants to talk real briefly. I'm not going to embarrass you if you just want to talk about Christ. It's the greatest thing we could talk about. It's the greatest thing that we could take just five minutes and talk about, and it's worth it. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just give you praise and honor for all that you did on that cross with your Son, Lord. We realize we are so unworthy, so inefficient, so so not even worthy to be there, Lord. And we just pray that if there's somebody here today that does not know you, maybe they don't know how, maybe they don't know if they are, Lord. Lord, I pray that you help them remove the doubt. That Saturday night type feeling when the sun goes down, Lord, help them realize who you are so that they can encounter you for, for who you really are, Lord. Lord, for the believer today, we pray that you excite us. We pray that you help us Go out of this building into this region of Maine and share your name in a practical way. Lord, we thank you for your word that guides us, shapes us, and molds us as we saw through your text in the last couple months. Lord, you desire us to be not just children, but grown men moving forward, Lord. We thank you for your love that you bestow on us. And we pray that we find somebody today to share that and bestow on them. We give you all the praise and glory that's gone on here today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week, and we all look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Mission Briefer Podcast, a ministry of propelling the gospel missions. All comments and thoughts can be sent through our website. Have a very blessed day and get out there and propel the gospel in your region and community.